that was, um, that was worth coming to church this morning for, I'll tell you. What a blessing. Uh, these people have been here with us before, and um, every time they come, our hearts are touched. And uh, I need to be reminded that 85% of the people who come to Christ come to Christ between age 4 and 14. And so uh, that, uh, that's good for all of us to know today, especially since tomorrow vacation Bible school is starting. Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Judges, chapter 2. Judges, chapter 2. And it just so happened uh, that the title of the message this morning is The Next Generation. Now, I knew you were coming, uh, but uh, this is kind of coordinated here by God, I think. The Next Generation. Uh, Judges chapter 2, verse 1, the scripture says, And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum. And said, I led you up from Egypt, and uh, I brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant and no agreement with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Uh, Why have you done this? The Lord says, listen now, I told you all these things. Why haven't you performed? Therefore I said... I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. The meaning of the word Bochum is weeping. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went Uh, each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, his contemporaries, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of the inheritance of Timnath, Haris in the mountains of Ephraim and the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation, and here's the generational thing right here. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord. The next generation. Uh, They were out in the cold. They didn't know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. They didn't know the history of the Lord. They didn't know him personally, and they didn't even know the history of, of the Lord. Then the children, and notice what happened to that generation. Verse 11. Then the children of Israel did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals, a variety of false gods. And they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed their gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. You know, it's so good to read the Bible through systematically like we're doing, you know, following our little Bible guide, read the Bible, check it off. Because you see so many times in the Old Testament, uh, the, the principles that God wants us to live by today are over there, too. 
And here we find that whenever people don't follow the principles of the Lord, it incurs the wrath and the anger of God. Verse 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, other nations. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them. Now, this is, this is really interesting. God not only retreated from them, he stood against them. Now, just roll that over in your mind and see what that can do. He wasn't just like a, a neutral bystander watching people self-destruct. He was in the mode of destruction himself. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Now that's the justice of God right there. The Bible says God loves justice because he's perfect and he's holy and he's righteous and that's his standard and that's it. But there's also another part to God and that's, uh, that's his love and his mercy. And verse 16 is about that. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, saviors, deliverers, who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Uh, the next generation. Every generation needs to know the Lord. And you know, it's easy, it's easy for one generation to, to grow up and know these things and, and forget that uh, all these things which you and I have acquired, uh, all the Bible passages that we have read and all the information that we have assimilated is uh, something that took us a long time to acquire and some other people to invest in our life and we sometimes so easily forget and we cherish it to ourselves rather than to realize that this next generation needs all of that also just like we got it. And they're completely left out in the cold. And so in Psalm 90 verse 1 the Bible says you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Every generation needs the Lord. The book of Judges records a time period of about 350 years of history. There are 13 spirit-anointed military leaders God raises up to lead the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. Those 13 spirit-anointed leaders, we call them Christ types or Messiah types because they are all a picture of Christ to come. Whenever people need delivered, uh, God sends them a deliverer. Now, there is this vicious cycle, and I know for those of you who have read the book of Judges, you get a little weary because it's cyclical. It's, uh, there's this cycle that keeps running through it. It starts, and on your notes this morning, you'll notice it there. It starts with sin. And uh, you can write this on your notes. So what does that mean? That means Israel turned from the Lord. They turned away from God. They stopped up their ears. They did their own thing. They turned away from God. And you, you know where that leads? That leads to servitude. You know, every time we sin, we have to pay for that sin. It's not free. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Uh, we reap what we sow. Every time we step out of God's will, uh, calamity is nearby. And so they fell into servitude. And what does that mean? That means the Lord allows Israel's enemies to oppress them. 
Now, as we go through this this morning, I know that it's, all of us are going to be thinking about our country, and that's a good way to think, because our country is just another country that is stuffed somewhere in here in the history of our world. And uh, so that falls into servitude. The Lord allowed Israel's enemies to oppress them. That's not a pretty picture. Uh, and uh, whenever Israel's enemies oppressed them, they began to supplicate. Supplication, that means to pray. Israel prays for forgiveness. You know, when life gets so miserable, we pray too, right? And uh, life gets unbearable, uh, we, uh, we become pretty good prayers. Israel was just like that. Whenever the heat or the oppression, the anger of God uh, smothered them, uh, they turned to God. And God heard their prayers, and he brought salvation. And how, how he did that in the book of Judges is he raised up a deliverer to rescue them. And so time after time, we find that cycle. Uh, this is the backdrop of the book of Judges. Chapter 1, verse number 19, gives us a little hint of why they were in so much trouble right here to begin with. Look over to chapter 1, verse 19. So the Lord was with Judah and drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland. I, I think I almost want to write in there, they would not, not could not, they would not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. And so here's the nation of Israel. They're still trying to conquer and colonize uh, the Holy Land. And uh, they're supposed to drive out all these enemies, take them away. And so they did pretty good in the mountains, but they failed in the lowlands. And they came back and they said, hey, now listen, the reason why we couldn't win this battle is because those people up there have chariots of iron. Well, you know, that doesn't mean a lot if you have God on your side. You know that? That doesn't mean a lot. Uh, I love Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, some, some trust in chariots and some in horses, war horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, they were trusting in the wrong thing. They were looking at their military apparatus, and they didn't have much. And they said, hey, this is the reason why we've lost the battle. Uh, Judges opens just like the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua opens this way after the death of Moses. The book of Judges opens after the death of Joshua. You know, time is marching on, and no matter how many extraordinary individuals are written about in history, uh, uh, their time comes to a conclusion. Time stops for no one. Moses was an immense leader of the nation of Israel, and so was Joshua, but their day is over. And so here we find uh, the nation of Israel now is left uh, to conquer the rest of the land. Joshua is gone. And uh, they failed God miserably because they turned away from his word, his command. And so the angel of the Lord appears to them. Now, this is such a great study, and, and uh, I know those of you who have studied this, you will say amen to that. The angel of the Lord is what we call a theophany, an appearance of God. Uh, actually, in three times in the book of Judges, we have a theophany, uh, chapter 2 right here verse number 6 to Gideon, and verse number 18 to Manoah. Uh, as we open the scriptures here, it says, and when Joshua had dismissed the people, this shows that Judges 2 begins as a re retrospect, 
looking back to the days before the death of Joshua. The angel of the Lord. In the original language, the word Lord means Yahweh, or is Yahweh. He went up to Gilgal, to Bochum, and uh, he wasn't merely an angel. He was a theophany, an appearance of the second person of the Trinity in visible and bodily form before the incarnation. Now, I'm sure that most people would live a lifetime and know, would never know that simple thought right there. That, uh, that Jesus didn't begin at Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. The second person of the Trinity was co-equal, co-eternal uh, with God in the beginning. But every now and then he uh, presented himself as the angel of the Lord. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about this right here? Uh, Joshua is ready to walk around the, uh, the, the walls of Jericho and this angel, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he said, I am, the, I am the commander of the Lord's heavenly army. And so as you look through the Bible, you find all these instances. The angel of the Lord. Remember, he appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 through 15. Repeatedly, he appears. Now, the angel simply means he's a messenger of the Lord. He was distinct from Yahweh, and that indicates a plurality of persons within the Godhead. Uh, this appearance, uh, this person appearing in human form before Israel, is not God the Father. Because the Father is described in the Bible as invisible. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. To the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so God the Father is invisible, but not God the Son. God the Son puts on uh, his robes of manhood, so to speak, uh, this visualization, and appears during this time. And he comes to denounce Israel's sin, to expose the sin of the nation of Israel. Now, he introduces himself here in verse number one, and he said, listen, remember me, I led you out of Egypt. Now, who was it that led Moses out of Egypt? It was the angel of the Lord. And he says, don't you remember that I will never break my covenant with you? And one thing we truly love about God is he always keeps his promises, doesn't he? Uh, he said, I've kept my covenant. He is Hebrews 13.8. He is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. Uh, he said, you've not obeyed my voice, though. And what he meant by that is you've not completely obeyed me. And, and here, here is, I think, an important thought for you and for me today. Uh, the thought of incomplete obedience you know, I think all, most of us in this auditorium have obeyed the, the Lord in some major areas of our life. You know, when we say, okay, let's, let's do this, we say, okay, we'll do that, Lord. But uh, we, are, we do get selective at times, don't we? And when we get selective with the Word of God and we, like, pick and choose, okay, I'll obey that, but I'm not ready for that, uh, we become victims to incomplete obedience and I think the Lord is saying to the nation of Israel right here, I had so much more for you, but you didn't obey me, and so therefore you can't enter into my full blessing. Now follow me, please. Because remember, the book of Judges is, a, uh, is filled with types of the Christian life. 
And I'm just wondering how many times God looks down at us and says, listen, I have so much more for you. If you wouldn't be so selective in what you want to obey and what you do not want to obey. That's what he's saying to the nation of Israel here. I have so much more for you. When we exhibit this attitude toward the Lord, the same must be said of us. God wants to do so much in us and through us, but it is our response, follow me, that determines the outcome. God has done everything that he can do to provide for you a successful Christian life. He's done everything. All we have to do is get on his page. And that means obeying what the Lord tells us to do without question. Now, they didn't do that. And what happened, and so they didn't drive out the enemy. Now, the typical teaching of this, the typology teaching of this, is that uh, today our enemies are spiritual strongholds. Their habits and, as Pastor Al mentioned last week, hang-ups and uh, things in our life and hurts that we can't get past. But the Lord wants us to like blow right through all of those things to fulfill his plan in our life. Unless we blow through all of those things, we can't completely fulfill God's perfect plan for our life. You know, I like the idea of the perfect plan of God. I do that. I think God's plans are perfect because he's perfect and he doesn't make any other kind of plan. Uh, and so as, as to the degree to which we obey the Lord is the degree that we get the privilege of fulfilling God's perfect plan for our life. And so he says, listen, these people are going to be uh, thorns in your side. They're going to give you trouble because you couldn't stand before your enemies. Uh, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, uh, they're going to bother you. Now, they, that was a warning that was given too to Moses as well. God had placed these people on a crusade to conquer the promised land. And uh, God has sent you. He sent me on a crusade to conquer the obstacles in our life so that we can live uninhibited, without shackles, free uh, to be serving God the way he wants us to. Now, this is a heartbreak for them because I think they had great dreams and I want to apply this to our life today. You know, whenever a person comes to Christ, don't you think we have great dreams? I know I did. Uh, you know, you come to Christ and you say, boy, a brand new start. Amen. This is good. This is cool. Sin's forgiven. Wow. What could I do for you, Lord? Remember what Paul said? Lord, what do you want me to do? What can I do for you? I think, I think that's inbred and inborn in all of us when we come to Christ. Uh, we want to please the Lord. That's, uh, that's the message of the Holy Spirit to us. And, but here, here they, uh, they haven't done that, and they're not going to do that. Uh, you know, that, that thought challenges me that God has a plan for our life. And at the end of life, I don't want to have too many regrets. I, I think I'll have a few regrets. I really do. But I like to almost wake up every day and think, hey, listen, what can I do today to really get in on God's plan in my life? Well, so the Lord comes to them in the personage of the angel of the Lord, and he, he rebukes them. He exposes their sin, and look at their response in verse number four. And so it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. They had an emotional response. 
As you read through the rest of the book of Judges, uh, you'll find that that was a short emotional response. It wasn't long-lasting repentance. You know, there are plenty of tears that are assumed to be repentance, but they're not. Uh, they did have some years of obedient years when Joshua was alive and when his contemporaries were living. But, uh, but this next generation, the next generation, uh, verse 8, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was a servant of the Lord, died. There was this other generation. Uh, the influence of godly persons wears out. Do you know that? Those people who have experienced God, not just theoretically, but practically. You know, it's easy to be a theoretical believer in God, the theories of the Lord. But, uh, but God has to have more than that. Because that doesn't change the world. That doesn't change the world. Changing the world uh, is when people get involved with other people. And when people get down in the muck and mire, and sometimes they have to go way down into The influence of godly people does wear out. Uh, and uh, it was worn out right here. Uh, whenever the, somebody came to the next generation, they probably said, you know, our parents, so they were into that God thing, but not us. You know, whenever you come into contact with true believers of the Lord, it does have an effect on you. I thank God for through the years that we've had some shining examples in our church, in every church like this, that attempts to preach the Bible. We've had some shining examples in our church that have led the way, stormtroopers, uh, that we looked at them. And uh, I remember Edna Engel. How many people remember Edna Engel? God bless you. See that? A lot of people. Edna was so quiet, I don't know, I don't, nobody should have raised your hand. She was so quiet. She used to live right down here on 88, in a little house right next to 88. She was a giant for God. I remember I visited her one time, and, and I was just sitting there almost under her spell as she talked about the things of God. And I thought to myself, I should take off my shoes. I'm standing on holy ground. She was the next thing to an angel. She really was. Hardly anybody knew her. Uh, but, you know, when you run into people like that, you realize, hey, this is what Christ-likeness is really about. This is, just not, this is just not theory. This is practicality. And so what was the problem? Why didn't the next generation get it? Well, I think it's pretty easy. Uh, God said in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, let that filter into your mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you walk in the way, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you go to bed. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. Keep talking to your kids about God. I think that was the problem. Uh, sometimes we're way too quiet about these things. Now, in verse number 8, I want you to notice that Joshua, the son of Nun, 
I was called a servant of the Lord. This is a meaningful title in the Bible. Uh, it's applied only to great men of God like Moses, Joshua. And it, but it's also applied to Jesus in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. He was known as the servant of the Lord. You know, uh, not too many people aspiring to that today, right? But, you know, I think if you aspire to be a servant of the Lord, God will use you. Uh, instead of, like, jostling with somebody trying to find the chief seats, the important positions, just a servant of the Lord. And so Joshua was a servant of the Lord, and uh, the, the Lord came, and after he died, he, he exposed the sin to the nation of Israel. And... Uh, the, their great sin was the defilement of other gods. Now, this is hard for us to... Uh, this was the God, by the way, that... Uh, and uh, this has proliferated all over the place. Uh, this is Baal right here. Uh, he has a lightning bolt in his hand. He's the God of agriculture. He's the God of the weather. We had some weather last night, didn't we? Some of you were hiding under the mattress. You know, you were running downstairs, blowing whistles and everything else. Uh, this, this character right here, he was the God that they worshipped back during that time. And this was the God that the nation of Israel traded for the true God. And so uh, he was a God over their agricultural success. In other words, listen to this. He was effectively the God of personal wealth. Human nature hasn't changed very much. It really hasn't. Today we're warned in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 through 5, it goes like this. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Themselves and money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. Whew, what a list. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of self. Now, we ask ourselves today, I don't bow down to Baal, the guy with the lightning bolt in his hand, but we bow down to other gods, the god of self-interest, the god of self-promotion, the God of money. And I think my definition of a God is anything that comes between you and God, the real God. And so, uh, and so we have our issues too today. Uh, Elijah took on uh, Baal, remember? Back in 1 Kings 17. He, con he confronted paganism and he called them out. All these prophets of Baal, 450 of them. And uh, they were begging Baal to send down fire from heaven. And they thought that would certainly be easy enough for him because he has this lightning bolt in his hand. But there was no response. Nobody answered in, in Baal heaven. And then Elijah got up and he called on God and uh, prayed a simple prayer and God answered immediately with fire from heaven. And so they exchanged that. And it's hard for us to understand that because, listen, we're living in the age of grace. We have to always remember that. We have such a powerful, unbelievable perspective that they never had. And we look back and we say, oh, those poor people, why did they do that? Well, we have to give them a little bit of slack. Because they don't have this enormous enormity 
of the Holy Spirit and the written revelation of God. And so we look back and we, would, we say, oh, we'd never do that. Well, we wouldn't do that just exactly like that. But I'll tell you what, we are so susceptible to worshiping all kind of things in our life, too. Uh, verse 12 says, they forsook God, and God raised up the discipline of other nations. He delivered them into the hands of other nations to punish them. Now, just think about America for a minute. Uh, Anti-Semitism has exploded around the world. If you've been reading the news in the last couple of days, in New York City, they are demonstrating against the Jews. Anti-Semitism. Uh, in Paris, it's unbelievable what they are saying. They are giving Hitler salutes and all these things. This is just an occasion to come out against the Jew around the world. Uh, and so their ultimate goal, of course, is, is, is America. Is America. The last great stronghold of freedom of religion. The last great stronghold of the Judeo-Christian ethic. Um, and so uh, these nations came against Israel because they didn't uh, obey the Lord. And uh, there were lots of different reasons. Uh, it wasn't the end. God said they had to continue to live their life even though he was punishing them because there was this one small element of good in the punishment of God and that kept them humble and dependent upon God. There was that element that is good. And so they went through their punishment. And uh, this punishment could have been worse. And the thing that could have been worse about it is God could have left them completely alone. And there is, uh, there is, there is a danger above being punished by the Lord or disciplined by the Lord. And that's having nothing to, God having nothing to do with us. And so, and so they, God was working with them and disciplining them. And then all of a sudden his mercy kicks in at the appropriate time when they repented. And he sent these judges to deliver them. This connection of sin, punishment, deliverance uh, is the keynote of the historical movement recorded in the whole book of Judges. Um, this discouraging cycle was more understandable in ancient Israel than in the life of a modern Christian. But you know, I think when you read the book of Judges and you see that cycle going all of, I think you know some people that are in a cycle like that. And there are some people that choose to live their life like that. Now follow me here, please. Some people choose to live their life like that. They, they sin, they think they cannot listen to God, they pay the penalty, they start to become a servant to their sin. And their life becomes so miserable that they realize that finally that they've offended God. And then they repent and God blesses them and they have a happy time, but they don't learn from the past. And so they start the whole cycle again. And so here we are in the church and outside of the church and people do that cycle all the time. They're always learning. Oh, I'm getting right with God again today. Oh, I need to get right with God. Well, the Bible says that in verse 19 that they had their stubborn way. That means stiff neck. So what's the summation of this all? Each generation, God 
deals with people about sin. Each generation needs to know about the sin barrier. This is important and this is foundational. The greatest thing that you could do is to open your conversation with yourself and with others on that topic. The barrier between God and man is sin. That's the, that's the problem in our world. Yeah, we need a new start, but we need to recognize why we need a new start. We have sin in our life. And, uh, and so here we find that the angel of the Lord, and remember this is the appearance, the second person of the Trinity, comes to, and says, listen, you have sinned. S-I-N, that's the problem. You've sinned. Now, that's a step in the right direction. And when Jesus came, he said the same thing. Matthew chapter 18. Let me read a verse. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus came talking about that too. Now, today he comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And it is a good thing that sometimes you leave church and your heart convicts you because of your sin. Because that's the first step in the cycle. That's the first step in the cure. Uh, to realize that we've offended God. And we have to pay the penalty for that. Uh, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, the Holy Spirit in John 16.8 has come to reprove the world of sin. Sin is a big issue. It's an important issue. And each generation must be reminded of what God requires. Uh, another thing I think that's important, and I think that the, the, one of the reasons why they failed so drastically is the fathers failed to train their children in the things of God. Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, another thing is we need to resist complacency in the church because each generation has its gods uh, that are unique and compete for the attention and worship. I was out at one of these little uh, classic car events yesterday. Usually when I come to you on Sunday and my, my face is glowing red, you know where I've been, out in the sun. Uh, and so we were down here in uh, Monongahela, and they were having these little classic car events, and we were there for a, a few hours in the sun. And inside the pavilion, I noticed that all the old guys, of which I am part, to my utter dismay and surprise, <laughs> uh, all the old guys were under the, under the pavilion, and they were talking up a storm. They were just having so much fun. It was called Conversation. And then there was a teenage girl over there, about 15. You know what she was doing? You know what she was doing, don't you? How many people know what she was doing? Raise your hand. You, see, you're, all, you're a knowledgeable crowd. She was over there by herself going. She was talking like this. Every generation has issues. <laughs> has issues. But it's up to us as the church not to say, hey, listen, this generation is harder than any other generation. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Going one-on-one -on -one with these people, age four through 14, and telling them, listen, 
God, there is a cycle of sin and you can break it. And God has a savior, a deliverer, Jesus Christ, to save you from your sins. It is easy to sit back and lament the fact that, oh, it's hard. These kids are too busy. They can't do this. Hey, listen, we're too busy. We're too busy. To engage them and to confront them with the love of God. And so, and so sometimes we look at that and we're so overpowered by the thought. We say, how do we do that? I'll tell you what. We do that on our knees. That's how we do it. And God fills our heart with energy and power. And then we go out and we do exactly what Jesus said to do. Confront them. Uh, there is a solution today. We have a deliverer. And all these deliverers in the book of Judges are simply types of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so I want to encourage you today. Uh, don't be like the nation of Israel and live that cycle. You know, I'll, I'll sin, I'll pay, I know that. I'll repent, I know that. I'll get right with God and then my life will get a little bit better and then I'll go back into the cycle again. Listen, break the cycle. Break the cycle. Uh, when there is sin in our life, listen, it has to be dealt with. We have to come to God in true repentance. Just not weep about it. Just not feel sad about it. Not feel that we've hurt other people and all that stuff. We have to, we have to completely change. And we can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We really can. Break the cycle. So that one of these days, somebody will be able to look back and remember you as a genuine follower of Christ so that you can impact the next generation. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I wonder, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how many of us have sold out to this whole idea of incomplete obedience. So we pick this part and we forget that part and how many of us have come to the place in our life that we've just abandoned ourselves? We just laid ourselves down and, and said, Lord, it's all. It's all for you, Lord. I'm signing up. I'm surrendering to your call. I'll tell you what, when you do that, there is a freedom that takes over your life. There really is. There is a joy that springs from your heart. When you know that you're not tugging against God, that you're going in the same direction with him. I want to encourage you to get on that page today. If you're caught in that cycle of sin, repent of that sin. Do more than cry about it. Change. Make it true, genuine repentance and turn away from your sin. And enjoy the blessing that God has for you in this journey. Dear Lord, we thank you for these lessons that are so clear in the Bible. They jump off the page and hit us right in the face with how these people were caught in this cycle and how it was so discouraging for them, Lord. Help us to be a people that whenever sin comes into our life that we recognize it, we abandon it quickly, and we go on in the victory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.